Okay, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew, and we're going to be looking at chapter 10, verses 16 through 23, Matthew, as we continue our study and going through the series of sermons here in Matthew. <clears throat> Wouldn't you hate to be on a job and the uh, boss just tell you to get the job done, but not to know exactly what to expect, cause all kinds of problems, wouldn't it? And insecurities and uh, defeat and discouragement, and pretty soon you'd feel like, hey, man, I, I'm just going to give up because I, I can't please him. I don't know what he wants. I don't know what's going on here. Well, sometimes you're placed in situations like that, unfortunately, but not with the Lord. The Lord wanted to let the disciples know exactly what to expect. And so he has told them that the harvest is there, it's plentiful. But the workers are few. Pray for the workers. Pray for more workers. But now he's calling them out to be part of the workers. Because if we're going to pray for workers, if we're going to pray for more people to get involved, if we're sincere about that, then God's going to convict us to be part of that. In other words, you can't pray and really be that convicted about it unless you get involved. It's that way with anything. Oh, I'm really concerned about it. I'll pray that other people get involved. No, pray that God will send the workers and some of those workers will involve you and your family and other friends. So as we come to Matthew chapter 10, and we begin with verse 16, we read, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will, will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about uh, it or what you will speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. And brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in the city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. As we look at this, we see that first of all, that as disciples, we are called for a purpose, and that calling is to be alert, to know what to expect. We are called to be alert so that we can know what to expect. In chapter 10 of Matthew, we have an acceleration of Jesus and his, his public ministry. I mean, he's headed for Jerusalem. And we know this because we have the benefit of having the Word of God with us. The disciples did not. 
But as they stayed with the Lord and as they continued with his ministry, little by little, progressively, they become more aware of what's going on. Now in chapter uh, 10, verse 1, Jesus delegates, delegates his authority to his disciples. And having summoned his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of weakness. This authority was given to disciples by Christ for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose was to demonstrate to others that they were his disciples and that he was the Messiah. They had a unique authority. And that unique authority was not theirs of their own. It was given to them, delegated to them by Christ himself, the Messiah, the Son of God. So as we, uh, these disciples were uh, to go out, they were not to just be students who received instruction from their teacher as from a rabbi, but they were to be identified with their teacher and his philosophy and then sent out with that philosophy with that teaching, to teach others. And so they were apostles. That's what apostles in general sense means. It means sent out one. And so these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. And they were to go first to the Jews. They were to go to the lost sheep of Israel. But with going to the Jews, they were also to expect certain things. To be alerted to certain things. That they would be rejected. It says, and whoever does not receive you nor heed your words in verse 14. As you go out of that house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So the first thing we need to recognize is that we need to be alerted as they are alerted to what is before us on our or with our mission. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Behold here is used <coughs> to indicate <coughs> Jesus' desire for the 12 disciples to pay a special attention to what he is about to say. Behold. Listen, as Dr. Stanley would say, listen to what I have to say. Here the disciples are described as sheep, but in verse 6, Israel is described as lost sheep in the need of a shepherd. And so <clears throat> now the apostles who are described as sheep, they're, <clears throat> they're to understand that this is not an invasion force. They're not an invasion type of people. But here they're told that they are to go out among the wolves, though. I mean, she's are, sheep are not the most desirable animal to be uh, compared to. Could you, have you, do you know of any football teams by the, they're, uh, you know, uh, they're known as sheep? Could you imagine Georgia Bulldog, Georgia Bulldog Sheeps? Oh, my goodness. I mean, we have Indians, Tigers, uh, Hurricanes, Bears, all of that. They're fighting creatures 
That's why we named them that. That's why they named them that. They wanted them to look tough out there. But not so with sheep. I mean, I would hate for a team to be known as the Clark sheep, Clark County sheep. That would be very humiliating, wouldn't it? Could you imagine the, getting back to Georgia, the University of Georgia sheep, looking forward to the football season? We'd be laughing stock of the uh, NF. I mean the uh, uh, Georgia. Uh, so I mean the SEC. Uh, really, the whole football league. And that that would be because I, I guess we would be going out on the field with our flags and banners and waving our tails and going bah bah. We're losers. We're losers. When the Lord calls the disciples sheep, he's letting them know that they're vulnerable. When he describes us in the Bible, followers of Christ, as sheep, we're vulnerable. And that's not all bad. He was, you see, he was not sending them out as tigers or bears, but as sheep in the midst of wolves so that they would go out in his authority depending upon him. Realizing how vulnerable they are. We need to know that the strength and authority we have comes not from us, but from the Lord. We're a society that gets pretty cocky, don't we? I mean, you know, look what I've done. Look what happened here. Look what happened there. You know, boy, I'm pretty smart and all this. I went to such and such school, Harvard, Yale, you know, whatever. Look you know, just because I graduated from there, you should be bowing to me, you know, this type of thing. Uh, but this is, the Lord is letting us know that, hey, it doesn't matter how many degrees we have. It doesn't matter what school we go to. It doesn't matter, you know, what ed type of education we have. It doesn't matter how smart our IQ that we possess. If we don't realize that we need the Lord then we're not going to be used for him and his kingdom. It's as simple as that. You know, we don't, we don't hear much preaching today of sinners needing to count the cost of salvation. And that was what Jesus was telling them. He says, you're vulnerable. You need me. So you count the cost. In other words, you need to Count the cost of salvation, which involves repenting of sin and confessing me as your Lord and Savior. We don't hear much about coming to Jesus humbly, devoid of, of pride and self-trust, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, saying, God, I need you. I need you more. Lord, I want you, and I want you more. I want more of you to be experienced in my life. I know all of you are there, but I'm not experiencing all of it. I just hunger for it. God, I know that I can't make it without you. You give me the intellect. You give me the ability to read and to, to understand. And, and you put me before people that have has, uh, helped me along the way in, in my growth. And God, it's all because of you. We don't hear much about entering into the narrow gate and and walking the narrow road of righteousness. 
We don't hear much about having to take up our crosses and follow Jesus because that means that we are vulnerable and we need his help and we, we understand that there is going to be persecution out there and there's going to be people who don't like us and there's going to be people who reject us and there's going to be difficult times as well as good times. And we need them through it all. The popular appeal Today is one of ease, isn't it? Comfort, riches, advancement, ambition. Go for it all. You can do it. You can do anything you set your mind to. This is a kind of enticement a lot of times that churches often use to motivate unbelievers to trust Christ. It's going to be a wonderful trip. He'll give you everything you want and more. It's going to be a life of ease. To present the gospel dishonestly and misleadingly is to be unfaithful to the Lord, isn't it? And to those to whom we are presenting it to. Because of false promises, many unredeemed people remain on the broad road because we've said come on and join all you've got to do is join our church and we have not mentioned about hey there's a cost Jesus paid for it all and he expects us to submit our lives to him we are to repent of our sins because we are sinners. Whoa, don't tell me I'm a sinner. Man, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. You're a sinner. And without Christ, unfortunately, this is why he died and paid such a cost, paid such a price, is because you will end up in hell. Whoa, don't mention that word today. That is not politically correct in churches. Everybody's going to be okay. Just come on in. Join the church. And you know what? We just allowed them to continue on the broad road to destruction. Without making a decision. Isn't that sad? Well, the Lord wasn't like that, was he? I mean, he let them know. Second of all, we're to adopt a certain type of behavior when we go. In verse 10, or, or verse 16, excuse me, the second part of it, it says, be, as, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Woo, what does he mean there? First of all, serpent is associated with shrewdness. Back in Genesis 3, we're told that the serpent was more shrewd than any other creature. Now, is this really a virtue that we want to possess? Well, the Lord tells us to be that way. So what is he talking about? It seems that shrewdness is not what is wrong. It is where you direct your shrewdness of thought. It is for what purpose you're being shrewd. Today's shrewdness a lot of times is in this fallen world is related to how to get, how to beat the IRS out of money. 
<laughs> the wrong way. Now, there are certain ways that you can call for uh, allowances and different things like that. And Rip will tell you that. But there are certain ways that certain people are deceptive, aren't they? But not only that. You know, it's knowing how to negotiate the rules, how to work the stock market, how to lever the future, so to speak. In other words, the way shrewdness is most often used, unfortunately, today is, is getting away with something. It is when a person is playing on the edge and making a profit. We don't like that kind of person. Someone who's going to take advantage of us. But Jesus said in Luke 16, yes, there are those, um, uh, those people. And the background is about a wicked manager in Luke 16 who gets caught living this way. But he says, yes, he has been caught, but he was shrewd. Now, what is he talking about there? Talking about, you know, is how you use it. It seems that Jesus was saying, if my people were shrewd in the right way, as this one is in the wrong way, in getting the gospel out to the lost world, then we would see probably a great revival break forth. You see, shrewdness is seeing an opportunity. It's seizing it and figuring out a way to exploit it for a reason, if it's good or bad. If you're a shrewd businessman, you would uh, see a need, you come upon a project, you come up with a business plan, and you get there before the competitor. And you come up with a marketing plan and advertising. And then you present it and you corner the market. And then you, you and these people continue to just lay awake at night a lot of times just having that rolling in their minds. How can I do this how can I you know corner the market just think if we Christians did that in the right way how can I reach the lost with the Lord what are the different ways that I could do it Daniel has come up with a plan here but that's just one plan as he said that's just one way how can we reach the people, so to speak, corner the market with the gospel. Not in a bad way, I mean in a good way. Calling, inviting, talking to people when we're out. Whatever it might take. Along with block parties and different things of this sort. To reach the lost for Christ. He was telling the disciples... He said, man, get out there. Be shrewd. But be as innocent as doves. In other words, be holy when you do it. Don't manipulate people into doing things. Don't do it for the wrong reason. Do it for the kingdom of God. And do it the right way. And then the third thing is expect affliction when doing the kingdom of work. Look in Verses 17, 18, 21. But beware, men, for they de will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you and, and their synagogues and you even 
Uh, you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. And we'll read 21 later on. But if you'll look here, uh, what we have in these verses is not a narrative, but a series of instructions here. In verse 17, Jesus continues, But beware men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and synagogues. In other words, this tells us that to be sent out as lambs among wolves, then we will be persecuted. Now, how are we persecuted? Well, people may reject us. Uh, we don't see it in our country yet. hope we never see it, but brought up before the magistrates and uh, cast in prison or, or uh, like in some foreign countries uh, where Christians are uh, killed, their lives are taken. But we are persecuted sometimes here. It may be some of you have been in college. It may be being made fun of by a professor who has a Ph.D., thinks you're ignorant because you believe a certain way. Maybe. It may be by a group of people that are real popular in school and they think that being a Christian and being totally committed to the Lord and being sold out for God, that's silly. It may be at work. You may not get a promotion. You may be per persecuted that way. You may not get a raise and you think that you deserve this and you may deserve it because you're a Christian. You may want to hold certain principles true in business and your boss doesn't want to. And you're persecuted that way. Maybe of even losing your job. So we see here that you had better be careful about placing your confidence totally in man. It better be, first of all and foremost, in God. Humans being fickle and fallen as they are welcome you one moment and they'll persecute you the next. So be careful. Wolves will bring you in that way. And this is what exactly what happened to Jesus and his followers should expect nothing less. Then Jesus instructs them why it will happen. They will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in, in their synagogues. In other words, the reason for being scourged isn't because of something wrong that you did or had done but because of what you are teaching and that is the word of God the truth you see we're not when people persecute us really and they hear the message that we're doing it and we're doing it in right spirit we're doing it in love and and we're trying to get across the word of God to people and with the right attitude people become angry at us and people become uh, outraged at us not because of us, because we're doing everything we know in the Spirit of God the right way, with the right motive. It's because they don't like the message. And who is the author of the message? Jesus. God. And they, that means they don't care for God. So... The gospel will bring on conversions at times. We'll see this and we'll be able to rejoice in it. But at other times, there will be rejection and persecution. In verse 18, And you shall even be brought before governors, kings, for my name's sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. This is amazing. 
No one have, would have expected these disciples, uneducated men, to be brought before kings and important people. People wouldn't have chosen these men uh, to do that because they didn't have great leadership caliber, or so it seemed. They, you know, none of them would have been in the young men or young executive club. None of them. None of them would have been in the priestly caste. None of them would be from the centers of important influence. These are men who no one would have chosen except for God. You see, God sees us, as we've already talked about, not for where we are, but where we become, or who we become, where we're to be, in other words. We don't see that as humans so often. Matter of fact, we don't look at that most of the time. Some people do, but most people don't. They look at you and they say, oh, you're just dumb old southerner going to church down there. But Jesus sees us for who we can become. The testimony was not just going to, uh, to, uh, to the Gentile or the kings and governors, but also to the Gentiles. And this is what happened in the book of Acts. We know this. In chapter 4, Peter and John was cast out there. Stephen, in chapter 7, you have believers brought before the Jewish courts and the Sanhedrin, and later you have who going to the Gentiles? Paul. In Matthew 10, 21, we're told that you will be hated by family, and brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. The persecution that they will be experienced will not be confined to just those of strangers and officials of importance. This is personal pain that they will experience. I don't know about you, but I'm not that, I don't experience, I mean, I do to a degree with my family, but not as much as a Jewish family. A Jewish family during that day and time, I mean, the pain was tremendous to be rejected by the family. And it still is to a degree, but especially then. Matthew 10, 35 and 36, a man's enemies will be the members of his household. In other words, Jesus warns his disciples later on that they will be enemies of his own household. During the Roman persecution of the 2nd and 3rd centuries, an untold number of Christians were betrayed to civil authorities by a brother or father or child. Tragically, that practice is not unknown altogether today. In many other countries, you'll see this. Speaking of the end times, perhaps a kingdom age, Zechariah prophesied, and it will come about that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, you shall not live, for you have spoken falsely to the name of the, in the name of the Lord, and his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. So in verse 22, Jesus tells him, 
and you will be hated by all, on all account for my name's sake. But it is the one who is endured who will be saved. And the all there in verse in the verse is obviously not an absolute uh, meaning here, term in its context. Believers will, not all believers will hate us. We see that. But in a general sense, it involves all. This hatred is not based upon one's rudeness nor other character flaws. It's because of Jesus' name. If we're going to stand up for Jesus' name, expect it. Some people will reject us. Some people will not like us. In the last part of 22, we read, but it is the one who has endured who will be saved. First, it is definitely speaking of persecution. And the problem is, uh, you know, uh, that some people have here is it endured to be saved. You've got to endure to be saved. But that's not what he's talking about. Uh, we need to know, uh, you know, that here, do it, do, do we need to hold on to our salvation? Is that what he's saying here? No. If so, then uh, other scripture in the Bible would contradict this. It's not talking about working for salvation, but we know that salvation isn't dependent upon uh, you know, us in any ways for our work, but you know, we know that with salvation, we need to endure to the end. Now, that will show that we are saved, for one thing. But also, it'll show that we have been faithful to the Lord with our enduring. So enduring is standing firm for the name of Christ in the midst of persecution and certainly deals with more than just staying alive. It is remaining in one's place, persevering in faith in the midst of persecution. And so to the end there, the end is the completion of some period of time or some event. And it seems best to understand it here as the work of preaching. Remain true to God's preaching. Stay firm with it. Continue to the end till Christ comes back. We must notice that it does not say one who works to the end or one who doesn't sin to the end. So, Persevering is not the same as never failing. It is getting back up when one stumbles, continuing the course of life, serving Christ even through our failures, our doubts, and all of that. We are to stay firm to the end. They will be persecuted by the religious leaders, by the government, by family, by society. And we're to persecute, we're, we're to persevere for Christ and then last thing assurance given to the disciples when they're doing their work there will be assurance in verse 19 but when they deliver you up do not become anxious about how or what you will speak for it shall be given you in that hour what you are to speak in other words like Luke 12, 11, through, uh, 11 and 12, and when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And this is what he did with the disciples at day of Pentecost and following. And the Lord works the same way to, with us as far as 
the Holy Spirit filling us and bringing to our mind the Word of God. Just like he said uh, in John, the Holy Spirit at times would bring to us what is needed, what we need. He would teach us. And so it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks, who speaks in you, he says. And that was surely assuring to them in their minds. It meant that they would never be alone, nor are we ever alone. And then the last thing, avoid persecution when it is expedient and possible. In verses 21-22, the disciples, uh, you know, a warning uh, is given to them about how divisive the, the gospel is and can be. And in verse 23, Jesus instructs them. He says, but whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So what he's telling us here is, continue the message. In other words, it, you know, he's letting them know it will be continued until the Lord comes. God's going to complete his work. But he says, when it happens, you trust in the Lord. If they're not going to receive your message, what did he say earlier? Dust the feet or dust off your feet and go to the next city. Don't waste your time there. Go to the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. And as you go there, share with them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue this and don't give up. Persevere to the end. Don't quit in the ministry. Continue on. Don't stop walking with the Lord. Continue on. Times will get tough. But not all times will be tough. But when they are tough, continue on. Remain faithful in the Lord. Depend upon Him. Realize that it is, you are vulnerable. And without Him, you can't make it. And He's letting them know this up front. Same way with us. We cannot be faithful to the Lord the way that we should, unless we spend time with God and be dependent upon Him and trust in Him with all our hearts. Now, we're not talking about working for salvation. Salvation is grace. We're working from that act of grace, in God's grace, by His authority. And that's the way that we continue on. Otherwise, we'll be defeated and the enemy will get the best of us. And if he does, then God is still there. He's with us. He hasn't left us. He'll pick us up, dust us off, and push us forward once again. Letting us know that he hasn't forsaken us. He's always with us. Have you felt forsaken? Felt defeated? Sure you have at times. Have you done it in your own energy? And you just felt like, hey, I want to quit. I want to give up. It doesn't seem like anything is working. He says, times will be like that. Especially if we do it and try to do it 
in our own effort. Trust in me. I'll give the increase. You just be faithful. As that worker. The harvest is plentiful. You work at it. We've got Rick Freeman, a converted Jew, who's been here before. I shared with Sunday school class. He's coming for homecoming. And he will be speaking to our church once again. He does ministry to Jews in Florida, and uh, they've got the chosen ministry where they, uh, you know, uh, witness to Jews and try to lead them to the Lord and then disciple them. And uh, he'd been doing this for quite some time. Uh, I talked with the lady that uh, operates out of Virginia, uh, kind of over this this uh, organization. She was asking uh, how the church was doing. I told her. She said, you know, that's unfortunate. She said, uh, in the sense that uh, all of us are, a lot of churches are struggling today. And I said, yeah. She said, matter of fact, we have been. But God's beginning to show us what he can do. He's convicted us in being continued to be faithful and going out but said we had our auxiliary ladies or whatever uh, to go and just start praying God stir these waters at the baptismal pool again and we've been kind of steadfast with that and guess what God showed us what he can do We've continued to be faithful as far as reaching out, but we weren't seeing people come in. But now we're beginning to see young couples come in and guess where their children are going? To the baptismal pool. They've been saved and they're being baptized. And we're continuing to pray that these waters will continue to stir. Some people say, oh, that's ridiculous, praying for something like that. It does sound ridiculous to the lost person or the natural mind. But God desires for us to be dependent upon him. To see that it's him that's doing this, working through us. Prayer, block party, calling, outreach, all of this. It's him working through us. And not only here, but abroad with our foreign missions, our Christmas child, ministry, other things. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I just want to...